What wonderful stories of God at work. It's so exciting to hear uh, stories. And, and the thi- I think the thing about Jesus and telling stories is that, is that the reason that people flocked to him was they didn't have the internet or headlines or anything like that. It's that people would tell one another their stories. You know, I've met this man and he's healed me. He's set me free. And, and, and actually, it's amazing. Just a simple story like that can travel like wildfire. And can bring other people to Jesus. It doesn't take eloquent preaching or incredible academic knowledge. It just takes us to say, this is my story. This is what God has done in my life. And, and those stories can bring such hope. I get to tell a few of my own now from uh, this week. And it has been a wonderful week. Um, uh, Mark and I, one of my highlights of the week actually, we were at the workers' celebration. All these thousands of people who were on team, the children's work and the medical team, site crew. Imagine being on the site crew from sort of Wednesday, Thursday onwards. Those, those guys were amazing. Um, but during that uh, workers' celebration, at the end of it, Mark was speaking and he just invited uh, anyone who was there who'd maybe not yet wasn't yet a Christian or who wanted to sort of recommit their lives to Christ to come forward and I think it was nine is that right the young people came forward and and we had the privilege of praying with them and and just seeing God working in their lives was an absolute pleasure and a highlight and a real privilege to to do one story that I was told was uh, a lady who'd been at New Wine the year before so last summer she'd come absolutely saddled with debt uh, in, in a financial really dire financial straits um, she'd come forward for prayer, just not knowing what to do, knowing that she needs to find money from somewhere to do something about the situation she find herself in. And she just came forward and asked someone to pray with her about it. And, and she said, her words were, one of the prayer team prayed a big prayer for me. I'm not quite sure what that prayer was, but I'd imagine it was something that God would put right in her life, those things that were wrong. And over the next year, her life was transformed. And she arrived back at New Wine this summer completely debt-free. Not only that, that she'd begun working for, I think it was for CAP, who, um, who asked if here works for, we have um, uh, a centre here. And during that time, not only has she become debt-free, but she's helped others to begin that journey out of, of crippling financial circumstances and has brought those, some of those clients to church because they're looking for hope in Christ. What I love about these stories is they're stories of people who've come maybe disappointed or despairing and lacking hope. And actually what God is doing through those things is restoring hope into people's lives. And actually, I could tell you story after story of people I talked to and prayed with this summer, and I'm sure many others of us will have the same thing. Situations that seem lost or hopeless that God has turned around. People who'd given up having hope again, but that being restored to them. Because I think hope is one of the most important parts of the good news of Jesus And before we turn to our passage and uh, and look at what God is saying to us through his word, why don't we pray together? Lord, I thank you that hope is powerful. And I thank you that you give us hope. And I pray this morning, from the stories that we've heard of God, of, of you at work, of you healing and challenging and encouraging and and blessing, I pray you'd restore hope to us. Spirit of God, open our eyes to see you at work, to hear from you this morning, and give us hearts that are willing to step out and trust in you once again. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
So this morning I want to talk a little bit about what it means to be a community of hope. Uh, one of the most important things a church can be is a community of hope. But what is this thing called hope that we talk about quite a lot, we pray for, we, we speak of and we find in the scriptures? Well I think hope is, is two things. It's something we can do, we can hope in something. Um, and something that we have, we have hope for something. So we hope that Team GB at some point will win a medal at the Olympic Games. Uh, very <laughs> Poor Mark Cavendish yesterday, you really fell for him, didn't you? Thinking he was the absolute nailed on favourite and to finish 29th, that uh, must be quite a disappointment. We watched the swimming, we got home last night and watched the swimming, I love watching the swimming. Um, didn't quite get to the kind of screaming at the television kind of come on, but it was great to see. Well, we hope that uh, they will win some medals. We, we hope that our children will do well in their exams, or maybe for some of you here, you're hoping that you'll do well in your exams, the results coming out soon. We might hope that this week we'll find a job, and we might just put our hope that something will turn around, a situation will come good, that money will come, that relationships will be restored. We might put our hope in God our Saviour and our Lord. What does the Bible say about hope? One um, dictionary defines it as this, a favourable and confident expectation of good to come. I really like that. Hope is a favourable and confident expectation of good to come. In the New Testament, hope is always centred on the person of Jesus. It's never separate from him. Um, We have a future hope of eternal life. Well, actually, eternal life starts now when we follow Christ because of his death and his resurrection. We have hope because of what Jesus has done for us on the cross and what he's promised that he will do. We also hope in Jesus. I I think it's a a better way of describing that is to trust in him. We trust that what he has promised will happen. We lean our weight upon him as we would sit on a chair or lean on a wall. Knowing that he won't fall over, he won't collapse, he won't walk away from us. In Romans chapter 5, Paul talks about hope and he says this, Not only so, but we rejoice in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not disappoint us, because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, whom he has given to us. Hope does not put us to shame. It doesn't disappoint us. It doesn't let us down. Hope in Christ will never be shaken. Even if it's shaken in us, even if we think, I really don't know if God is there. I really don't know if I can reach out to him. I really don't know if he's abandoned me or not. He hasn't. And your hope in him will never be put to shame. Even if it's literally the tiniest, tiniest last piece that you have, your hope in him will never disappoint you. We might have lost hope that God could do anything in our own situation. And and it's great to share stories of what God is doing. But for some of us, we're thinking, well, why isn't that me? Why has God not done that in my life? Why has God not healed me or saved me or helped me? You know, hearing testimonies of God at work can be a painful reminder to us sometimes of of our, our own situation that doesn't seem to have been resolved. But I really believe that hope can grow again in the darkest of places, even if we've lost it. After bereavement, after loss, after illness, after redundancy, whatever it is. It can grow in the midst of illness or separation. 
It grows through prayer. Paul, in his wonderful prayer in Ephesians chapter 1, prays this. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. Why does Paul pray that the church of Ephesus would know hope? Because we all need hope. And hope is something that can drain away. Paul prays for hope in the midst of darkness. Hope grows through perseverance. It grows through choosing to trust God, even when circumstances and situations point otherwise. We put our hope, that hope which we possess, however big or small, we put it in God. It's an action that takes faith. It's a choice. So when we gather together as people, we come, I'm sure this morning, with different experiences and expectations of what hope is. But we're still called by God to be a community of hope. What does the passage tell us about that? Well, on first glance, it might not seem that the, this passage is talking particularly about being a community of hope. But, but it is because Paul, in writing to the Corinthian church, is saying, if you're to be the body of Christ that you're to be, you're to, you'll be a place where people encounter a living hope in Jesus Christ. And Jesus is mentioned nine times in the first nine verses of this letter. In fact, he's actually mentioned ten times in the first ten. So central is Jesus to all that Paul does and says. He cannot stop talking about him. And I don't think a church can be a community of hope without Jesus at the centre of their story, of their lives, their thoughts and their imaginations. We can't be a community of hope without Jesus. We can be a great community that supports one another. We can be a great community that provides for one another. We can help all those people we can, but we can't be a community of hope, of true and living hope, without Christ at the centre. Because Jesus is the source of all hope. And I think there's three ways in which the passage describes how Jesus brings hope into a church. The first is his grace. In verse 3, Paul says this, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 4, I always thank God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. Grace is central to hope, isn't it? Grace is seen through God's willingness to always pick us up when we fall. There is always a second chance. The disciples said to Jesus, how many times should we forgive someone else? And, and Jesus goes, and the translation's a bit, you're not quite sure, but basically it's seven times seven or 70 times seven, which is a lot of time, 49, 490 times. And you can imagine the disciples going, well, how many times have I forgiven my mum, my dad, my friends? The point is this, is an endless supply of forgiveness. Why? Because there's an endless supply of forgiveness from the Father to us. And where to keep that flow going? Grace always gives a second chance. You know, if we hit bankruptcy, the despair that financial ruin can bring, it's not the end because there's always grace for a second chance. Divorce or separation or the end of a relationship, it's not the end because God hasn't finished the story of your life. There's always a second chance. There's always hope because of grace. This undeserved love and mercy that we're given because of God's character, not because of who we are. We, are, we don't deserve a thing in one sense, but, but God doesn't see it that way because it's God's nature to give grace. We can't earn extra grace by being extra Christian. In fact, Paul seems to say in Romans that we get more grace the worse that we are. Isn't that good news? 
It's great news for someone like me. It's great news for someone like me. For Paul, grace was central to the message and life of Jesus. He was the friend of sinners, which meant that all those who everyone else had rejected were his friends. One of the greatest stories of a a trophy of grace, if you like, in the gospel is the woman that was caught in adultery. You might know the story in John chapter 8, verses 1 to 11. This woman is is caught in the act of adultery, dragged out before the religious leaders and before Jesus. Um, One can imagine her shame, her confusion, her horror, and actually the violence and the, the, the sheer meanness of the religious leaders. And she's laid before Jesus in her vulnerable state. And the law says that if you're caught in adultery, you're to be stoned to death. That's what it says in, in Leviticus. And Jesus is with her and she's before him. And the religious leaders say to him, what are you going to do with her? You know what the law says. This is it. And Jesus just takes his time. Because she's a human being worthy of his love and grace. Because he made her in his image. He's not going to be forced into action by law and and rules. Because grace triumphs over those. And she's lying before him and he says, well he starts writing in the sand and we don't really know what he's written down. But it's clearly something that has an effect on those around him. And he looks at them and says, well if any of you here are, are able to throw the first stone, if you're without sin... Be my guest. And one by one, from the youngest to the oldest, the oldest to the youngest, think it is, they leave. And this woman in her vulnerable state is wondering, what on earth is Jesus going to do? Because he hasn't left. And she, she looks at him and he says, you see all these people have gone? They can't condemn you. And neither do I, being the only one who could. What a story of grace. Someone who has hit the lowest of the low. Someone who is a sinner, who has committed adultery, caught in the act. And there is a whole other subtext around that, was where is the guy? But we can talk about that another time. But she's there, she knows she's done wrong. And she's before Jesus, the Holy One, the one who could throw the stone and he won't condemn her. That's grace in action. The second thing is that Jesus' power is present in the community of the Corinthian church. His grace is there to save. His power is there to heal. Paul says this in verse uh, 5 to 7. For, in you, for you in him you have been enriched in every way, in all your speaking and all your knowledge. Verse 7. Therefore you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. Spiritual gifts that Paul talks a lot about in 1 Corinthians 12. We've talked about it here in in our services recently. We've done a series on it. Um, They're a sign of the presence of God. That's why it matters. The presence of God brings hope. When we find ourselves in the presence of God, uh, we meet with him and find hope and grace. Why are these spiritual gifts so important? Well, because God speaks to people and God acts in people's lives. And he primarily does that through you and me. We are the hands and the feet of Jesus. We are the body of Christ. And so he does that through gifts like prophecy. We, we pray for people and we ask God to speak and we share what we think God might be saying, these words of encouragement. And we know how powerful those can be, don't we, when someone says something encouraging to us because it gives us strength to face that difficult meeting with our boss. It gives us courage to deal with that conflict that we have to sort out. 
It gives us comfort when we're facing bereavement or loss. God speaks to people and he acts in this world. We pray for those who are sick. We pray for healing. We pray because we believe God heals and acts in our lives. And we keep on praying and we keep on seeking him. And that's what the Corinthian church were doing. And that's what makes a community of hope. People who come in looking for hope, they want to see God at work. And the third thing is his faithfulness. Jesus is faithful. Paul says this, he will keep you strong to the end, in verse 8. And God who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, is faithful. It means that he will not abandon us. He will never give up on us or leave us. And the Corinthian church faced pressure from the inside. There were factions and divisions seeking to tear them apart. They faced pressure from the outside, from the, those, the religious rulers and leaders, from the, the secular world in which they lived that was persecuting them and telling them to renounce their faith in Christ. But, but Paul is saying here, God won't ever give up on you, even if the rest of the world does, even if everything falls apart. God is faithful. He's worth putting your trust in. And even if we abandon God, God doesn't abandon us. And we know the story of Samson, um, a man who had it all, the power, the strength, the calling on his life, and who squandered everything because he couldn't deal with the issues of money, sex, and power. They were far more alluring to him than, than the call of God to be a leader. And even though he abandoned God and the story is quite harsh, Samson really messed up. But even, even though he'd walked away from God and done his own thing for his own desires, at the end of his life, God comes back to him. God never abandons him. God never leaves him. He walks away and does what he wants. However far we walk, God is with us. We may have once known that hope and have lost it. God invites us back to himself. So Paul is saying to the Corinthian church, because of the grace of Jesus, because of his power and presence shown by those gifts, because he's at work in your midst, because of his faithfulness, that's how we can be a community of hope. That's how when people come into our community, maybe on a Sunday or maybe through a life group or maybe just meeting us in the street because we're the church when we're gone, not just when we're here, people find hope because we carry the presence of Jesus with us. But I don't think it's enough simply just to be content with being a community of hope in the building, in our kind of gathering together. I don't think that's what we're just called to be. And we know that because for many of us, we've been out and done Beeson projects and we've served others and seen just by painting someone's room what a difference that can make to someone's life. If you allow me to tell one more story from last week. Um, I was part of the team uh, in Venue 2 and uh, as part of one of groups of the team were a group organising some practical action projects in Shepton Mallet, uh, working in conjunction with an organisation called Love Shepton Mallet, which is basically churches together there. And a small group of 30 delegates went out on the Monday, and we were disappointed. We were hoping for lots more sign-ups, but we had enough to do the projects, so we were thankful to God for that. And they went out, and they were decorating a primary school, clearing gardens for uh, people who couldn't do that for themselves, and, and doing a big mural in an outdoor swimming pool for the community. The Shepton Journal came along to take some photos of this small group of people working in the community together with the local churches. And they were so impressed with what they saw that they've offered to sponsor the churches together for an entire year to do these projects. We were disappointed with 30 people. It's amazing what God can do with things that we're disappointed with, isn't it? 
And I've, over the last few days, I've been thinking, why on earth did the Shepton Journal willingly agree to do it? We were thrilled, but I was wondering why. Only 30 people, two or three projects. And I think it's this. I think that they saw Christians bringing hope to places that have been abandoned and left for ruin. And they wanted their community to have that for a year. They didn't want hope for a week and a half. They wanted hope for a year. They wanted to see the desolate, broken places come to life with colour and vibrancy. Why? It's a sign of the kingdom. Hope is a sign of the kingdom. We know that just praying for someone who's ill, even whatever God chooses to do in that situation, we know that it's a sign of hope because we're praying for God to come. And that's what we want to do through the noise. Barry mentioned it. But on the 8th of September, I would love to see all of us, as many of us as possible, sign up for part of the day to get involved in these practical action projects because we want to bring hope to our community, to a house that's a mess that needs decorating, to see single parents, families in need, just lives transformed because of a simple act of love in practical ways. Sign up on the website or at the back. We've got flyers. I'd love today for more of us to get involved in that if you'd like to. Restore hope to families that find each day a real struggle. And that's why we run Alpha. We've, um, Jill, who came up here earlier, was, has been on the Alpha course with us this year. And, and I know for her it's been a transforming time. I found faith in Christ on Alpha. I find hope. I think the reason I went on Alpha was because I needed hope. I didn't know what the future held. Hope is so important and so powerful. Well, I want to encourage anyone who you know who, who's looking for hope in life because we'll find that in Christ to come and do Alpha. Invite people to come. Come yourself if you've not done it. We start at the end of September but we can sign you up now. Come and speak to me if you're interested in finding out more about that. And to finish, I want to say this. is that hope is fragile. We have to be real about that. We can lose hope but we can get it back again. I think we need to ask for it. I think we need to trust that God will give it. It comes as we pray. Paul prayed. Pray we'd see the hope that's available to us. The hope that we have in Christ. That our hope is centered on him through his grace, power and faithfulness. And if we're to be a community of hope, in whatever setting that is, we're to have Jesus front and center of who we are. But hope isn't something to keep to ourselves. We only get to keep that which we give away. The more we give hope to others, I think the more we'll receive it. And this morning, I want to pray for those who've lost hope. Hope for the future. Hope for tomorrow. I think God wants to give hope. I want to pray for those who have heard the stories this morning and thinking, I really want God to intervene in my life. Maybe we'd love to pray for you if you need healing this morning. If you want to hear from God, you're saying, I've been praying, God doesn't seem to be speaking to me. We'd love to pray. So I'd love to ask you to stand. I'm going to invite the Spirit to come, because it's his, in his presence that we find the fullness of joy. It's in his presence that hope is manifested. And we believe that he's here, but we're going to ask him to, to, to show his presence, to reveal himself to us and to work in our lives.